This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. The Lord, I thank you for things that you're showing me even as I read through these verses, and I pray and I trust that you're doing the same uh, to each of your beloved daughters and sons today. I ask now for your anointing to be upon my lips as I speak and help me to say what you want me to. And God, prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The context of Matthew chapter 12 is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That's in verse 8, if you have your Bible still open. Verse 8, he is Lord of the Sabbath. And this is the chapter where he's going to cast out a demon and they're going to accuse him of doing it by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And you know how he says, well, why in the world would Satan work against himself? The evil one comes to kill, steal, and what? At the end of verse 14, the Pharisees went out to figure out how they might destroy him. And they're accusing him of doing things by Satan. Isn't that interesting? So before I say too much, I just want to point out this context. He's Lord of the Sabbath and they have problem with him for healing a person on the Sabbath, a man with a withered hand. And if you care about a sheep enough, and really what they would care about there would be themselves, correct? Because sheep were, in a sense, money for them. So if you care that much, do you care about somebody and their withered hand? Jesus did not only heal people to show that he was Messiah. He did it from compassion. Out of his heart, full of love and tender mercy. And so in these verses, in verses 1 through 8, when they're having trouble with him eating and taking the grain and mashing it together and they're eating from it, he says this profound statement to them, quoting from the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Verse 7, if you had known what this means, if you had really known what this means, I desire compassion. Mercy, some of your Bibles say. I hope you will see that in love there is mercy, or that in mercy there is love. Now this being from Hosea 6, verse 6, just bear with me for a minute. When you go back to Hosea 6, and you see that God desires mercy or compassion, the word that Hosea uses there is that word chesed, which means steadfast love, tender mercy, loving Kindness. Would you say kindness? It is the love of God. And long before God ever asks us to sacrifice anything, He first wants us to get a hold of the great love that He has for us. His mercy, the compassion that He has for us. So that when we do 
present our bodies as living sacrifices, it's based upon the mercies of God. That's Romans 12. Based upon the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We cannot get that order mixed up. If we get it mixed up, we will think that somehow our sacrifice is now causing God to respond in mercy toward us. And yet, we always operate in response to His great and amazing love. Also in Matthew chapter 12, He quotes from Isaiah chapter 42. And He does that in verse 18 when Excuse me, he doesn't quote, Matthew quotes it. And Matthew says that this is to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. What was? Well, in verse 16, he warned them not to tell anybody. And this is what's called the messianic secret. They didn't have a proper understanding of who he is at this point. And so even though Jesus is showing compassion and he's healing all who come to him, he warns them not to tell anyone about him yet. And a lot of times we have difficulty with that. But even in John's gospel, all throughout the book of John, my hour has not yet come. Hour has not yet come. Now we're supposed to tell the world. Now we declare it from the rooftops. But at this point, they think he's just going to come in and destroy the Romans. Yet what he's going to do is he's first going to come, he's going to offer mercy. He's going to come and show the compassion of his loving Father so that they would embrace it. And he does it of all the texts, you know, when you think of all the different places that Matthew could have said this was to fulfill, even in Isaiah, Isaiah 66 chapters, for him to use Isaiah 42 is profoundly important. And so I hope that you're enjoying right now this moment of Bible study as we're meditating on the truth of God. It's really going to help us put the facts of life into their proper perspective. Isaiah chapter 42. In fact, would you turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 42 in your Bible? And let's take a look at the context of Isaiah chapter 42. And while we look, I do want to tell you how important this message today is to even me. Because sometimes you put together a message and you think, well, God, what do you want to say to the congregation? You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, Steve, I don't only want to say something to the congregation. Oh, really? <laughs> what do you want to say to me? Well, Steve, you know how you're concerned about how you keep feeling and experiencing my love? Yeah. And you're concerned that that might end? I want you to remember the phrase, a bruised reed. A bruised reed, a smoking flax, I will not extinguish. I want you, Steve, as you tell everybody else, I want you to remember just how loving and compassionate I am. And you don't have to sacrifice in order to feel my love. (laughs) You are feeling my love, and that's why you keep serving me in the way in the fashion that you're doing. See? 
But I've heard other people say, oh, for a period of three months, I just kept... Uh, the, the Lord did this and the Lord did this. And I've never forgotten those three months. And that's awesome. I just don't want the months to ever end. I want it to keep going. And so I kept hearing this phrase, bruised reed, bruised reed. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus feeds uh, the 4,000, I think it is. And it's either five or 4,000. And he he's concerned because they haven't had anything to eat. And he doesn't want them to faint. I mean, just think about this. He does not want them to faint in their physical body. So if Jesus cares about the physical body, what must he care about your heart? The times when you feel faint. The times when you feel like your love to him is just a weak love. The times when you feel like your look to Jesus is, is just a mere glance and you're just glancing through all the fog and all the cloudiness and all the distractions of life. Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 9 says, even your weak glance, my heart is ravished. My heart, the bridegroom says, is captivated by one glance from your eyes. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Does God really love you even in your weakness? Does God love you and delight in you as His beloved daughter, His beloved son? Is He well pleased in you even when your weak, broken heart can only offer Broken prayers. So often the devil makes us think that we got to stir something up or muster something up. If you fast on a regular basis, your fasting really should be in response to the goodness of God. Not to try to stir up the goodness of God. It's seeing the semblances of revival beginning, the tide beginning to come in, that motivates me to fast for revival. God first moves among people's hearts, and then he comes through with the blessing. So he first stirs up hunger so that you then will pray about it so that he can then satisfy the hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Correct? Well, who do you think got the hunger going? See, this is a bridegroom with a very kind disposition. This is a Savior who's gentle. This is a Lord who's compassionate. He's a friend. He's a brother. And God, in His amazing grace, wants His people to know that a bruised reed he will not crush. And a smoking flax, he will not extinguish. So I want you to just think about uh, a wick made of cotton or some sort of fiber. And it's, it's, it's burning, but then the flame begins to go out. And the more that it goes out, the more smoke begins to be visible to the point that all of a sudden, all you can see is smoke. Well, you know what you have to have to have a fire. You have to have fuel and you got to have oxygen. You have to have heat. And what this verse is saying 
as though that looks like it's gone out and you're seeing nothing but smoke, that our loving God will somehow in some way breathe on that in just the most tender, gentle, kind way, his loving kindness, that he will fan that into a flame. And I had a picture of a reed and about all I could find were some cattails. And in Second Kings, uh, when the uh, king of Syria sends the Rabshakeh in there to taunt Hezekiah, you remember Hezekiah and Isaiah are contemporaries, and it's through Isaiah's prayer that Hezekiah gets 15 more years. You guys know all that. Okay, well, the Rabshakeh who's taunting says, don't go to Egypt, that broken reed or that bruised Read, because if you can think of a reed, just it's like a you know a plant. It's just like a stick, you know, like this. If you just slightly damage it on the side, the whole thing just falls over. You barely. It's a strong something that if you put your hand on, it would pierce your hand. But if you just barely dent it, the thing loses all of its power. And it's this. That God uses these pictures, get these pictures in our minds to say to his people, you are tired and you are battered and I am going to rescue and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to do it by sending my servant who is sent and he's appointed and he's gentle and he's compassionate. These were some folks who had been beat up by the world. Am I the only one in church? (laughs) These are some folks who are beat up by the world because they tried to make friends with the world. You ever been there? And you find out that the world really isn't all that loving and compassionate. Those Pharisees were not very loving and compassionate. And here they say they know the law. They had misunderstood something. Because the law reveals how awesome loving God is. You love Him and you love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard the statement when you laugh, the world laughs with you. When you cry, you cry alone. So I'm so thankful for you who have stuck with me and my wife as we go through very, very difficult times. It means so much more than you know. But you know what it's like to have people leave you too. That they want to be around you when you're strong. They don't want to be around you too much when you're weak. They'll applaud your strengths, but you start showing them your weaknesses and they'll throw a verse at you and tell you how you shouldn't feel that way or think that way. And you know you shouldn't. And you're you're admitting it because it's a moment of weakness. And you don't want to keep it in the darkness of this cranium to where it's yours and Satan's little secret. You want to get that out into the light because the crickets stop chirping when the light comes on. One of these days, maybe I'll get away from that analogy. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan and he wrote several sermons on this bruised reed. And he said that there is more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in us. Somehow we think. Somehow we get it mixed up. Somehow we think that God is only kind and loving and gracious, gentle when we're doing good. 
And I'm not promoting let's all go out and do bad. (laughs) I'm not saying that at all today. You can always be misunderstood from the pulpit. I don't know if you know that. The kingdom, Romans 14, verse 17, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where does the joy come from? Jesus. You'll have my joy and you'll have my joy too. Where does the peace come from? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Peace I give you, not as the world gives. I give you my peace. I get my joy from Jesus. I get my peace from Jesus. Where do I get my righteousness from? Jesus. But somewhere in worldly thinking or some dark demonic influence, somehow we think the righteousness is something I've got to stir up. And it's imputed. It's given. It's a granted righteousness. Put on the full armor of God. Guess whose armor it is? God's armor. It's the armor of God. And so when I put on the belt of truth, it's God's truth. When I put on the helmet of salvation, it's the salvation he's given me. When I put on my the shoes of the gospel, whose gospel is it? Jesus, whose peace is it? It's his peace. And I take up the sword of the spirit. Whose sword is it? The spirit, the word of God, whose word? God's word. What about the breastplate of righteousness? Oh, no, I got to go over here and I got to manufacture this deal. and I got to get this out here going. I'm telling you, your savior is a kind, gentle, loving savior. Isaiah 42 is the chapter that says, I will not give my glory to another. Isaiah 42, uh, that's in verse 8, and what he's talking about there is idols. I want you to know this truth if you don't know this truth, because this verse is misquoted. God is going to give his glory to you. Thank you for the thunderous silence. That's where I had some... Slides of verses that I was going to show you, and I'm sorry I don't have them. You'll just have to either write this down or remember this, that there's a day coming. Second Thessalonians, this is one of the themes of Second Thessalonians. There's a day coming when Christ will be glorified in you and you in him. You what in him? You will be glorified in him. All who he called, he justified. All he justified, he glorified. Romans chapter 8. We will obtain the glory of God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. I wish I could show it to you. It's right there in black and white. So when he's talking about he won't share his glory with another, he's saying, I'm not going to share it with these idols that you guys keep going to and relying on. And why in the world would they ever rely on a piece of wood or metal? The only reason was to make friends with the world. That's why they did it. All these nations are doing it. Well, we can make friends with them if we say that we're relying on the same gods they're relying on. And they turned and they went to the world and it left them dry and beaten and battered. And I'll tell you, when it comes to the evil one, he has zero mercy. That means you could be having your worst possible day. You could be having all kinds of things stacked in your day that you have to do. And you think he's going to say, no, 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 let's don't give her a flat tire today. Zero mercy. What's bad 
is when we attribute to Jesus things of Beelzebul. This is a God abundant in tender mercy. In his loving kindness. So he promises to send his servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. You see that? God, where Israel failed to be a servant, Jesus steps in and Jesus is going to be the servant. Servant. You see the Trinity here. My, the Father, servant, Jesus, my spirit, Holy Spirit is on him. And he's going to do what you were supposed to do. You want to know how this will bless your life? The times when you fall short. Jesus not only died for you, Jesus lived for you. So in all the places where I get my prayers wrong, Jesus gets the prayers right. You see what I'm saying? The times when I have given and kind of wanted people to know that I gave, Jesus never gave like that. See what I mean? He always only did it for the glory of his Father and the well-being of other people. He lived in your place. So as much as you celebrate the death of Christ in your place, celebrate him living in your place. Now, verse 2, he will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Some Bibles, like in verse 4, say until. So he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice. In the earth, he's going to complete his task. But there was a time when Jesus finally does cry out the feast. He says, all you who thirst, come unto me. So Jesus has this time when he doesn't cry out and he says, don't tell anybody. And then Jesus has another time when he cries out. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, go and tell everybody. This is what's called the diversity of Jesus. Years ago, I read an excellent sermon by Jonathan Edwards called The Excellencies of Christ Seen in His Diversities. Jesus is a lion, Revelation 5. What else is Jesus in Revelation 5? He's a lamb. I mean, you can't get more diverse than that. So yes, there is coming a day when Jesus is going to slay all the enemies of God. But before that day, a bruised reed. He won't break. Smoking flax. He's not going to extinguish this. But even in your moments of your greatest weakness, how many people, let me ask it this way. I got to get moving on this. How many people in your life can you really truly share your weaknesses with? If you'll think about that, Man, if you can use more than one hand, you're doing really, really, really well. That's why I'm so thankful that I could say to you last week, guys, I just don't want to mess this up. And not one of you sent me a verse or an email me something about how he hadn't given us a spirit of timidity. I know that, but I still have moments of weakness. And if you really want us to think you don't, (laughs) we're not fooled. Amen. And I was not looking at any particular, but you looked right at me when you said that. Like, I'm not, I promise that's not what I'm doing. Here's a question. How gentle are you? 
The fruit of the Holy Spirit gives you a portrait of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. How kind are you? How much do you reflect your awesome bridegroom? How gentle are you? Have you ever noticed it takes more strength to be gentle? It's not a sign of weakness, is it? It takes more strength to be kind. Have you ever had someone say to you, I'm trying to be nice? You you might need a little Holy Spirit on that. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be patient here. Oh, I don't think you're doing too great of a job. Gentle. And a lot of times men will think this is not masculine. And guys, I love you, but here's the deal. You are the bigger, hairier, uglier one. Okay? You don't need to be abrasive. You already look abrasive. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Be gentle. It's the soft tongue that breaks the bone, Proverbs says. Gentle. And man, I, I don't, I do not feel like I'm a good example of this, just so you guys know. So I know some of you may say, well, you're not, I know. But I like to look at Jesus and where I fall short, man, he's perfect right in their place. Right? He's gentle and he's lowly in heart. Just think of all the times the Bible reminds us of how gentle he is. He's gentle with you. Can I say it this way? He loves to be gentle. With you. He's not at his wit's end being gentle with you. Ladies and abrasive men? Why do we say ladies and gentlemen? Because that means you have strength. That means you got godlike qualities to you. If you're a lady, that doesn't mean you're weak. Well, if you're a gentleman, You're not weak. Gentle. Gentle. Do we extend this to other people? And do we recognize the amount of strength that it takes to be kind and gentle and loving and to remain calm? It takes a deep security to be gentle. With one look of your eye. Song of Solomon 4.9. You have captivated my heart. And even if our faith is weak, he's delighted from one look from our eyes. Do you guys remember the song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So Father, I hope that I've said what you wanted me to say today. And I pray now that you would help us to see just how kind and loving and gentle you are. And thank you, Jesus, for revealing your father to us. And Father, we just acknowledge that you are kind and that you are gentle and we're so thankful that you are. And now as we look to you, receive, God, the sacrifice of praise. It's all in response of your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.